Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Trevor Marks of Bull Ridge Guide Service out of Nevada. Trevor, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good today. Just here at the house. We're actually getting some really good rain right now. It's rained the last two days, so that's always good for the animals. That's fantastic. Um, I haven't had you on the podcast in a while. Um, Trevor, why don't you tell the listeners a, a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're based out of, and kind of how you got your start in hunting and guiding. Um, I, I love this story because you have a very historic past with your, with your, uh, I believe your dad and your uncles uh, guiding uh, and, and, you know, teaching you a lot about um, hunting and what have you. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about it? Okay, yeah, we um, are located here out of Ely, Nevada. It's on the eastern side of the state. And my dad and his four brothers actually started the guide service back in around 1996. And they've always been hunters, you know, their whole life. And I've just been brought up in the hunting world and have always done that and just kind of caught on to having a knack for elk and deer and all the stuff we hunt here. And then ever since I graduated high school, I've become a full-time guide here with my dad and Matt and the other guys, you know, kind of went to work. So I kind of took on the role of just being there every day, more of the technical stuff here later on, you know, in the past yep. five, ten years. It's become a lot more technical with just like Instagram, Facebook, and a lot of marketing that way. And, you know, they're a little bit old school and don't quite get the new technology and how to go on so I kind of just have been pushing a lot of the marketing stuff through that yeah you do a fantastic job I love following you on Instagram and for those listeners out there make sure to check out Bull Ridge Guide Service all one word um, got a big following and you post a lot of great content um, you know you guys your, your dad and your uncle's um, you know, we're known for killing giant bulls and other giant animals. Um, was there a time in your young career as they all kind of opened their eyes and said, huh, Trevor's got it, like, and, and was there a moment that you can go back and, like, put your finger at was like, you know, I did, I did good today and my uncles and my dad were proud of, of you know, how you have become as a hunter and, and all of a sudden now it's like, oh, he's ready to guide. He's, he's ready for it. I mean, was there any one particular moment where you, you know, was your awakening, so to speak? Oh, I don't know if there was quite, you know, necessarily one time that it actually stood out. It, more of it is just being with each individual uncle and dad, you know, that they kind of all have a little bit different way of doing things. You know, one guy likes to either glass a lot more from one spot, another guy likes to move a lot more. And I guess I've just kind of took all of that together, you know, and put it into one. Sure. So I kind of do sure. a little bit of every, all of that, you know, and I guess kind of one of the first things that stands out is, you know, back I think I was probably 16 or 17 and I had spotted this bull. And, you know, I got a hold of my uncle and obviously we didn't have – you know, scope cams and phone scopes and that back then, so I didn't have really any footage. We had, did the old school, hold the old VHS camera on your shoulder up to the scope back then, you know, but I didn't have one at the time. Anyway, I found this bull and I told them, hey, it, it's a pretty big bull. I think you need to come look at it. And anyway, they come over there and 
me and my uncle and them went up there and we killed that bull and it was like a 385 like a 6.7 had a big drop tine on him which kind of I don't know boosted you know my yeah so in other words you're standing with them yeah your their confidence in you and your confidence in yourself to be able to say yeah I know what a big bull is and I've got the confidence enough to say hey guys come over here stop what you're doing I've got something good um there's always I think a time in in every hunter and every guide's um, you know, career where all of a sudden the, the, their credibility stands on its own. And I know in my own, um, you know, hunting history and what have you, it's always nice to have those moments when, you know, you know what you're looking at, you make a judgment call and, and you know, it, the, the hunt gets pushed through and the animal gets harvested and it is what you said it, you know, say it is. That's always a fun feeling. Um, in, in, Talking about that a little bit more, how important is it for you? Uh, I'm just trying to pass a little bit of um, insight to the, to the listeners. How important is it to you to not only as yourself, but guys that you hunt with, be able to 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 whatever you you say it is, it be meaning. It's a challenge sometimes when you're hunting with people that constantly say something's bigger than it is. You leave your knob, you hike down an hour, crawl up over to another knob, get up there, and it's a smaller animal. You know, how important do you think it is to surround yourself with people that call it what it is? Oh, like you said, I mean, that's huge, you know, especially if you're sitting on a animal that you are very confident that it's, you know, that type of range or size of range that you would want to shoot, and then someone says, hey, you know, I got one that's bigger. So you really definitely need to be with a trustworthy guy or that knows to be all right, hey, we're going to pull off this animal because I know he's telling me this one is bigger, and I, you know, trust him and we know. Versus if you go the other way and you go over there and it's something smaller and you'd left a bigger bull, now that, you know, the client may be thinking, well, do these guys, you know, might question us. Yeah, and I think the hard part about that, taking it a step further, is if you pull off and then all of a sudden, say, another group of hunters or something moves in and shoots that bull that you've been camping on or sitting on, I mean, it just puts a dagger in your heart um, for sure. And that's, you know, something we all as hunters um, and guides, I think, learn over time as to, uh, you know, just trying to be accurate. And, um, you know, I, I get some, I guess, feedback or negative feedback saying, you know, Jay, you really focus on, you know, trophy hunting, you really focus on size of of whatever you're hunting. And my argument back to him is, well, yes, I mean, as a guide, one of the things that I'm paid to do is to be able to discern and, you know, decide which is bigger, which is smaller, you know, which animal, you know, scores more and what have you. And so I, I, you know, me as well as a lot of other guys out there have become kind of students of that game of trying to be able to accurately, you know, trophy judge and and score animals. I think one of the challenges, and I'll get your take on this, is, you know, you mentioned social media, you mentioned like your dad and uncles and what have you, not into the technology um, as much as you are. Um, We've got social media that, you know, there's some really great aspects about social media, I think, that portray hunting in, in, you know, real positive light. And then there's other 
aspects of it that are negative when you know you get a lot of um, people on on social media you know overscoring or or the animals dead we're not even talking about trophies you know judging or, or field judging we're talking about the animals on the ground and say it's a hundred and 80 inch buck and they're calling it a 196 and change. Um, do, do you think that the social media actually makes people more honest or do you think, you know, the, the guys out there that want to fluff the score are going to fluff it regardless? Cause you know, I'm not trying to be too critical and make this a negative, you know, episode, but I was curious your thoughts because you do have a great following. You post some giant animals, um, but there's a lot of fluff out there, and just curious your thoughts on you know maybe the way things are going and such. Yeah, it's definitely you know we see it on both ends of it being you know like you said a negative and a positive. You know we do see a lot of ones that you know, and we could be wrong too. You know maybe that animal truly is, but you know there's times that you know it's not, you know, and they know yeah. it's not, but it's. We all know it comes to, <laughs> yeah, you know, it comes to more of an ego thing to where they try to boost it up, which, you know, like you said, 180-inch buck's a great buck. You know, there ain't no reason to try to call it a 196. Yeah. You know, it right. is what it is. And with that, they just, like I said, it's kind of, to me, it's more of trying to boost their ego, you know, and yeah. then where you get to where you said people talking negative about the trophy hunting type, versus just you know going and harvesting but like you said that's our job that's what they pay us to do and quite frankly these people that are non-residents that are paying here in nevada twelve hundred dollars for a tag you know of course they're going to want the best animal they can they've taken you know 10 plus years to draw this tag they don't want right. to just go shoot a bull they could have done it you know in their home state for you know a fraction of the price yeah that's a great point it's a great point um, Trevor, I, I want to talk uh, specifically today about Nevada, which is your home state. And if you would explain to the listeners, um, obviously there's a bunch of listeners that probably already have points and very familiar with the Nevada draw. But I want to give some information to the listeners out there that maybe haven't applied. Um, can you talk a little bit about the Nevada draw, kind of how it works, and um, come at it from a, a, a position of maybe someone that doesn't know anything about the Nevada draw for big game. Okay, Nevada, in their draw system, they have what we call bonus points, and they actually square your points. So if you have five points coming in, they'll square them, so you'll have 25. But them are only 25 chances for one draw number. So say out of just, you know, if you had a random lottery of 0 to 1,000, say you get 25 chances, the lowest ball number you pick may be only 350, where a person with 0 points coming in, they only have one draw chance, and they might pull a draw number of 200, and now they're ahead of you. So even though you had all them chances, you know, a person with one chance could draw a lower number than you and be ahead of you in the draw. So, so in other words, it, so in other words, bon, uh, bonus points in Nevada really help your chances because of the way they square your numbers. But it doesn't work in every case that if you have the most points, that you have the best chance to draw. You could have, like what you said, someone with no or with very low points um, end up getting that um, random uh, draw number. So every, 
from what I understand, everybody in the draw has a random draw number, and they get yep. that number from how many points they have. If you only have zero, you, you don't have any points to be squared. Like if your, your example was five, you have 25 chances, but the guy with zero or one or two or three could still randomly get a lower draw number. And then once that draw goes through, they have a lower number, so technically they have a better chance of drawing those tags, correct? Exactly. So, okay. you know, not to be discouraged to the new guys coming in, you know, obviously just odds are lower, but it can happen. So just, you know, if you want to be in this game, you gotta you got to try to apply. Talk a little bit about um, buying the license and what that allows you. I assume in order to get the bonus point, you have to buy uh, the the, the non-resident hunting license. And then once you have that license, then you can apply for different different animals. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, to like you said, you buy the license here in Nevada in the adult combination. 18 plus is $155, and when you apply for the animals, each application fee for, say, instance, elk is $15. Um, so if you apply for, you know, you buy the tag and then the license, it's going to cost you, you know, $170 if you just applied for elk. And then that way you will draw or get a bonus point for purchasing the license. If you don't purchase the license, you don't get a bonus point. Gotcha. So, I mean, if you're going to go through the, the, the work of applying, you need to buy the license and then you need to get the bonus point. Um, you need to buy the license so that you can get the bonus point if you're not successful. But would you also agree at the cheap price of, you know, the application fee, you might as well apply for the other animals as well? Yep, exactly. You know, so because you already bought, you know, the majority of your price is the license. So, you know, $15 for the application fees for the elk and I think deer, and that might be a little cheaper, but it's roughly right there within a few dollars. And right. you're getting a bonus point for each one of them animals. And then um, as far as applying, can you apply online or do you still do paper applications? Nope, you can apply online at endowlicensing.com. And that will, you know... You can apply with your credit card, I assume, and then uh, if you draw, then they go ahead and charge your card, but you really don't have a lot of upfront fees in the state of Nevada, correct? Correct. You know, only if you're buying the license, then that's going to be, you know, your biggest part of it, the $155 for the non-resident, and then your application fees, and then like you said, that will be charged to your card right then, and then the fee for the elk tag or deer or elk antelope won't be issued until you draw the tag. Talk a little bit about um, returning your tag. I know Arizona has the point guard system where you can spend a little bit of money and have a point guard where up until the day of the season you can, you know, give that tag back and get your points. Does Nevada have a similar program? Yes. Um, there's nothing you have to buy as of yet. You can just within a week of the season starting, return your tag and receive your points back. I think if it's within, with under a week left, you would have to have a doctor's note saying that, then you can still get your 
um, bonus points back, but I believe you're still charged for the tag. Okay. What about, um, <clears throat> I, I understand Nevada also has like Silver State tags and Dream tags. What's that all about? Um, the Dream tags are essentially a PIW tag. And our PIW tags here and the Dream tag is if you draw, say, the Dream elk tag, you can hunt any weapon for that season in any open unit in the state. So you can go hunt archery here in the units 111 through 115. If you don't kill in the archery hunt, you can go hunt muzzleloader season when it starts, say, in 231. And if not successful, come back for the rifle hunts in any open unit in the state. And is that separate? How, how do people go about applying for that? Um, is that through this general draw? Yeah. On the, when you go to that ndllicensing.com, when you apply for the tags, it'll have a list of there, usually at Dream Tags. For okay. for the animals, and there could be a separate. I'm trying to look right now, but I possibly believe there was. You can go to NevadaDreamTags.com. You know, no. Okay, so those are. Nothing, I know there was. You, you can apply for both, and you can apply for elk tags and deer tags and sheep tags through the general draw, but you can also apply uh, for for these other dream tags and what have you. And it, you, you can do both, correct? Correct, and and also there's the Silver State tag, which that is a $25 buy-in for elk, deer, and the sheep, and that one is basically a governor's tag. You can hunt with any legal weapon starting from August 1st to the end of the year. And is that also... Um it, you know, no preference points. It's just a random draw. Um, they only draw a few tags, but if you're not in, you you can't win. You know, I mean, the only way to get in that is just buy, pay your 25 bucks and apply for that species. Yep. And the dream tags are $5 a ticket with unlimited amount of tickets you could buy. Okay. The, and just to be clear, the, the silver state tag is more like a governor's tag where it's unit-wide, or not unit-wide, but statewide. The dream tags are specific for those units. Is that is that a good way to say it? Yeah, yeah. You have to hunt that open unit with the proper weapon with the dream tag. So I would assume the dream tags are probably easier to draw on an overall spectrum because I would assume people would, you know, put in for those. I mean, they're all hard to draw, but when you're looking at the odds, the Silver State tags, you know, a Silver State elk tag or deer tag or what have you is is for the whole state. So that's going to be a much sought-after tag than a specific unit and specific weapon type, right? Uh, yes and no, because you only have one buy-in for the um, gotcha. Silver State okay. elk, you know, as to where you can buy, say, 10,000 dream tickets for the elk if you wanted. Gotcha. Okay. Make make and, sense. So yeah, you could yeah. load the you could load one unit um, weapon type on the dream tag whereas Silver State you just buy one one ticket. Yep, you know. So and it actually was nvdreamtag.org to purchase the dream tags. Okay, sounds good. And in order to do that, do you have to have a um, Nevada license? in order to, to buy those dream tags? Yes. Okay. 
Okay. Um, and talk a little bit about uh, private versus public in Nevada. From what I understand, there's a ton of public land. Do you know the percentage or the rough percentage? And talk a little bit about, you know, is it primarily forest, BLM, state? Like, what what are the what are the components there? Um, it is very public here. I would probably say only 15% or so would be private, and a majority of that private is really not hunting grounds per se. Is there be maybe a few animals down in the fields in the private, like real early in the morning, but they're coming off going on to BLM and Forest Service, you know, as daylight comes. Sure. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Nevada elk. And Nevada elk is something that I would say your dad and uncles, you know, were were known for even before, say, you were on the scene. Uh, you know, doing a lot of the marketing, what have you, growing up um, in that environment where it seemed like the Marx Brothers, I mean, it seemed like, you know, your relatives were always associated with a 400-inch bull. Um, talk a little bit about that growing up and, and that mentality of you guys constantly seem to be, you know, surrounding yourselves around big bulls and the love for that. Talk, you know, talk a little bit about that history. Okay, and that kind of come with, you know, back in the 80s, they were trappers. So mainly out trapping bobcats, they had, you know, been seeing elk and deer, and then that just translated to when they started shedding. So then picked up a lot of, you know, big sheds and then following them throughout the year, and then that correlated to the people with the numbers of the tags being drawn back then were very low. And... People were always, you know, here in Reno and that was saying, hey, you know, if you've drawn one of the milk tags, you need to contact the Marx Brothers. Them guys follow them around year-round, pick up their sheds, got names for them. You know, we were naming them back in the 80s, you know, and back then people were trying to say, oh, you can't tell that bull from that bull, but once you follow them enough and pick up their sheds, you can tell which bull is which. For sure, and as a young kid growing up and and charging around um out in the woods with your your dad and uncles um did you really get into shed hunting as well yeah yeah i definitely did and back then there was just a handful of people here in town that did it so you could go and pretty much match up an animal as nowadays, you know, if you got one side more than likely and you can't find the other side, it's picked up by somebody with just the sheer amount of people that do it nowadays. Talk a little bit about Nevada elk from what you've seen, um, you know, growing up and, and the condition that the herd is in now as far as trophy quality. Um, is it ever been as good as it was? Um, you know, is it in a, in a lull or is it, you know, Right, right, even par with the way it's always been, or or where we're at in that kind of time frame. Okay, it uh, it's actually really good right now. I mean, last year was probably one of the best elk years Nevada seen in quite a while. I mean, we personally killed four, four hundred inch gross bulls in here in Nevada, and I know there was a few others that got killed. So I'd say together there was probably, you know, eight eight or so that grossed over four. And back 
in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, our state records were under 400. And once we broke that 400 there for a few years, they were killing some real big ones. And then about 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, it took a decent slump. You know, there really wasn't any 400 bulls killed, and the bulls taking buckles for the biggest elk in the state was the 380 to 390 mark. What so do you it's think starting to bounce back up? Back then, we had our units all as one. The 111 through 115 and 221 through 223 was all one hunt. They split them now into 221, 223, and 111 through 115. And back then, there was getting to be about 350 tags in that hunt. So a majority of the tag holders were hunting, you know, one unit and putting a pretty good herd on the older age class. In in other words, they had all of those units to hunt, and, and they were specifically hunting kind of in the best areas, whereas when you spread out the, spread out the hunters and spread, you know, spread them out in each unit, you think the quality gets better? I just think there was not as many older bulls getting killed out of there. So, you know, essentially them ones or broken bulls that got to grow up, you know, the next year or two and put on them extra inches. And we did get them to cut the tags down a little bit through our local game board here and trying to keep them down to keep our quality up. I know that's a thing that the game and fish is always fighting. I know they do here in Arizona. How, you know, how much impact or impact's probably not the word, how much um, ability do you guys have to talk to your local game wardens and tell them what you're seeing and do, does it make an impact on their their numbers or is it strictly up to them and they don't take any in, input from the guides and outfitters? We have a new biologist now, and he's definitely more open to the public suggestion. And our prior um, biologist, he was kind of that way, that kind of said that, you know, this is what I think, this is what what I feel. You know, he had mentioned before that if we have a problem or we kill too many elk, we'll just bring in more. You know, so he had that mindset as to where our new biologist, he's really good into, you know, taking public consideration. And or when we're going into the hunts or the draws, he's willing to say, hey, well, we want to take 10 of them out of this muzzleloader hunt and put five in the archery and five in the rifle. And he's really good with that saying, because really, in the scheme of things, the overall matter of how many elk get taken is what he's looking for, not necessarily just 10 rifle elk or 10 muzzleloader elk, just elk in general. So we could kind of spread the tags out into these other hunts and get a little bit less pressure in the, say, rifle is where they want the most. Makes sense. Um, how are the conditions... This year, you said it was uh, raining, actually, um, at your house right now. Uh, I know Arizona's been extremely dry compared to other years. Um, where do you sit right now as far as con conditions? Oh, it's really good. And honestly, though, we've never had a bad year. 
I mean, Nevada's always in a drought, but the elk, I mean, they've been at it for hundreds of years. You know, they know how to make it through, whether it's dry or, you know, not. And to us, we've never seen a drop in horn growth except for a really hard winter. And that was just taking so much out of the elk to stay alive that winter that they had no fat reserve and any of that going into the growing season. And they just, they were down 20-something inches on average. Okay, so as far as antler growth, you're saying Nevada's such an arid state that it um, harsh, harsh winters really have more of an effect than, than arid. They're used to arid conditions, so they just make do, and the antlers seem to be, you know, they don't fluctuate as much as, say, Arizona, you know, has great years, and then off years, Nevada's more even keel. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, that with Arizona, and I'm we're more of a firm believer it's more genetics than conditions. You know, there was, you know, a local guide down there in Arizona that they had some trail cam pictures of some bulls and they had a bull that had some weaker fives, fists on it. And he was saying how, oh, it's, you know, a drier year is in a drought, less horn growth in the back end. And I told him, okay, I said, well, what about two pictures ago on that same camera when that bull's got 15-inch fists and this one's only got five? You know, and then not much to say about that, but like I said, to me, it's more genetics than, you know, dry or not. I think it's going to affect, you know, affect the bull overall than just one part of his, you know, antlers. I got you. Rather than one point. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you guys harvested four bulls last year that went over 400 inches. Um, talk a little bit about those bulls about them individually and about those hunts and kind of how how each hunt went down and, and maybe talk a little bit about the history with bulls or, you know, were, were some of them ones that you had seen before and tracked for years? Were any of them just random bulls that just showed up? Talk a little bit about that. All right, yeah. Well, the first one I mentioned was just a random bull. Um, my dad was actually out hunting an archery hunter, and he spotted it. And, I mean, it was a giant. We ended up killing it later. But he's watching it. And, ironically, my dad had an archery elk tag himself. But this tag we had, the hunter, was the governor's tag. And he had booked, you know, well before my dad had known he had drawn. So our obligations was to him. So my dad found that bull in the velvet. We got some decent video and we knew it was big, and several of our guys were saying that that's the one, that's the one we need to kill. Well, anyway, we never seen him again for two, three weeks, and then, like, the second day of the archery hunt, my dad found him again, and come back in the midday, and he's, like, told me, hey, I found him, so that night I went out with him to go look at him, and we're only four or 500 yards from him, and we're looking at him, and yeah, he's a giant. He's an eight by nine, and I'm adding up numbers, and we're coming up well over 400. And we're like, yeah, that's him. And I actually had phone service there, and I was calling Brock. He had the governor's tag, and I said, hey, you need to get up here now. You know, we have the bull, one we need to kill. So he had made plans to come up that night and hunt the next morning. Well, anyway, my dad's sitting there just watching the bull for 
two, three hours with his bow next to him, but you know, he's a, you know, he's a stand up guy and we had our obligations to Brock. So he's just sitting there watching him. You know how hard that is a 435 inch pool. Oh my And goodness. just have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so how did it play out? Were you able to get on it um, the next day and get it, get it killed? Yeah. Um, actually the next morning, um, we got up there and we're looking at the hillside that that pool was on and he's not there. And we're thinking, shoot, do you take off? Because any minute now or any day now, he's taken off the rut. He was still kind of in a summer range. He moved down about a mile, but we've had bulls that go from that area and go 25 miles to the east. We've had them go, you know, 5 to 15 miles to the south of there, so we really don't have an idea where he's going to end up, so we're knowing we need to get this done. So anyway, he had moved over the mountain about a mile to the south, so we got over there and got on him, and he got blown out of there, so we come back that evening and end up getting it done, but we were pretty worried there when he uh, wasn't there that morning. It looks like, I'm looking at the picture on Instagram. It looks like a nine on one side and I think eight on the other. And it, on his left, between his fourth and fifth, the webbing, he's got an extra point kind of kicking out. Super heavy there between that um, fourth and fifth point. Really cool boy. It looks like he's got a little um, devil's point coming off of what would that be his left eye guard. Just a yeah. phenomenal bull. Great looking bull. Um, looks like a bull that, if it would have been harvested, I mean, it looks like end of August when you got him, potentially could have broke a few of those points. He's got, I mean, it looks like a picket fence. He's got so many points. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was something, you know, like you said, that you could be worried about because he's not a super heavy bull. He's just super long. I think one royal is almost 25 inches. Both beams are around 59. Both fists are around 18, 19-inch fronts. Wow. And yeah, like I said, any little bit of fighting, I think, as long as them points were in the skinny, that hit, they would have broke for sure. So that was the first 400-inch bull um, of last season. Talk about the the next the next several bulls. Yeah, that was actually the second one. Oh, um, the first. Yeah, um, the first one, actually, one of our guides, Dallas, he had a tag and. Um, we were still hunting, looking for a few of the archery guys we had and, you know, my dad and then for a bull for Brock. But anyway, he found this bull and he come back to town and showed Brock Rowley, one of our guides, the video. And he's like, hey, I found this bull. It looks, you know, pretty big. Do you think he's big enough? And Brock took one look and he's like, yeah, you need to shoot that bull. Well, anyway, so he went up there that evening and him and another friend of his, Justin, they sat on the hill where it went over, and he said he called, and that bull bugles right below him, like probably 80 yards. So he said he's frantically looking for his stuff, trying to get ready, and he forgot his release in his truck. Oh my goodness! So, yeah, so we talked about it a little bit on our Instagram. He did a story, but anyway, he um, said he's looking around, and he's like, "Shoot, I don't have nothing for a release. Do I just back out, or do I?" try to wing it you know so he said he's sitting there and he's looking around and he had this little lanyard so he said he wrapped it around his wrist 
and strung it through the D loop and was holding the other end with his finger. <laughs> so oh they called us. Yeah, he said he called and that bull come up to about twenty five yards and he drew back and he said he was thinking you're dead and he shot and it hit like a foot and a half low. And he oh said that bull goodness. just turned and looked around and then started feeding again. So he said no he way. Yeah, so he said he knocked another arrow, pulled back, same thing, hit low again. But it was such a steep downhill when that arrow was going underneath him, it wasn't making any sound, it wasn't hitting nothing. It was skipping, you know, yeah. shoot 100 and something yards down the hill. So he said he was like, screw it. That bull jumped down to about 45, and he said he said, just screw it and threw that lanyard down and just held fingers and shot and smoked it with his fingers. Oh, my gosh, I'm looking at the bull. He's got giant fronts and thirds and his fourth on his left actually on both sides he's got little little devil's points almost between his fourth and fifth doesn't he that's yep. incredible yeah. and yeah how long were those thirds they look like they're 23 24 inch long and the fifth yeah i like think they're they 25 were, yeah 22 and a half i think 23 around there okay, so that was 19 that was bull number 400 and then and then brock's was number two there's two giants on the ground, and you haven't even hit September yet. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what's next? Now we we could rewind. I'm I'm going backwards. <laughs> well, well, you're going backwards. Okay. Yeah. I keep thinking of them um, backwards. But anyway, the first 401 was how we had talked about them, special tags you can draw. Um, a hunter out of Washington, Shannon, he drew the Silver State Elk Tag. Mm. And he had he had called us and said he um, drew that tag, and his dream was to kill a, a big bull in the velvet. So, and we have never killed one in the velvet. Our tags have usually started later, and, you know, we never had that chance. So, out scouting, you know, we had found a handful of really good bulls, and one that I felt was the biggest in the velvet that we wanted to really try to take with him. You know, I called Brock and said, hey, I have this bull that we feels over 400 because we had booked Brock before this. Right. He had first obligation. So I said, hey, you know, we have this bull. You know, if you don't want him, that's fine. But we have this other hunter that would be more than happy to take him. You know, and Brock said, yeah, go ahead. You know, he's like, I want to wait for the rut to see what shows up because a couple of our other bulls that we were looking for don't come in till you know, the rut starts. So he had passed, so he said, okay, Shannon, you know, go ahead and come in. So he came in, and that morning, two days before that, my dad had found the bull again in the same area. So the next morning when Shannon showed up, he had went there to where he'd last seen him, and me and my nephew went on the one side, and we found probably our number two bull for Shannon. It's just a great big six-point, a velvet. You know, they're, well, they're all still in velvet right now, but a really big six-point. Got, you know, 23-inch Trestines, 20-inch fronts, just super typical everywhere. And so Shannon and my dad were on the other side of the mountain, and we have this bull here, but not the one that I want. I knew the other one was bigger. Mm -hmm. So we come back in and meet up, 
I show him some film, and he's like, yeah, I like that. Well, he's like, I'll shoot it. And I'm thinking, no, let's hold on. The other one's right here. You know, I know the other mm -hmm. one's 10 inches bigger or so. But he's like, no, that bull looks good to me. I'd be more than happy with that. So just told him, okay, that's, you know, we'll go out that evening. And if the other one shows up, pounding. we'll try. Yeah. Yep, you know, we'll take whatever one we can find. Well, anyway, we get out there that evening, and we're sitting across from where that bull was. And I had to walk down the road a ways to look back in there because they were only about 600 yards off the road right there. And I'd spotted one of the bulls that was with the big six-point um, better down on the hill so we knew they were going to be right there anyway i'm looking back behind that bull about a mile back behind there and i see the one we want so i'm like all right now you got go. both of them in your view yeah but i'm like <laughs> i know the other one's you know the bigger one so i'm like we're going for it so i run back up the road to them guys i'm like get your stuff we got to go the better one we named him mert he was back behind him so we got up there in any way and got it done and that was one of the very few bulls that actually grew on me when i got up to him after we got him down and i was just blown away at how big he was his body looks huge was his body big yeah yeah he was you know just big everywhere but honestly he wasn't a super old bull i bet he was only seven eight just in great shape yeah, because in 2014, I had some trail cam pics of him, and he was probably only about a 340 bull then. Really? So I figured he went, yeah, I figured he went from like 340, 345 to probably, I didn't see him in 2015, so we're thinking, you know, 360s, 370, and then 2016, he was actually probably about 385, 390. And we seen him one day in the rifle hunt, just running through the ridges i don't know somebody bumped him but we seen him running and he went to draw and we thought all right he better in that draw and we hiked up over there and waited all day and never seen him again so it was pretty lucky that we got him when we did anyway we got up there green scored him had about 417 up on the hill and then when it got all said and done there was some a little bit of stuff going on anyway, so it took seven months to get him scored. So after the seven-month drying period in the velvet, he ended up at about 409 gross and about 399 and 4H net. He's a beautiful bull. Looks like he's a wide bull. Um, yeah. He flares. He's one of those bulls that he just keeps getting wider and wider, and he's wider out at the tips than he is anywhere else. It looks like just a beautiful bull. Bull. So, so now you've got three bulls. So you're three bulls into the 400s, and you haven't even hit September yet. Now what happens? <laughs> yeah. Now we're out, you know, looking around, and my dad still has his tag. One of our other good buddies that hunts with us has got a tag. We got one of our other guys, Jake, that's got a landowner tag. Um, Brock and I were hunting a guy, Mel, in unit 221. 223 um brock ended up killing him a good 352 bull so he's done and then we're still looking around for them guys and we're going out looking for these bulls that we had hoped to show up in the rut anyway we found one that we we're looking for and he shortened up a little bit on his right side 
and his fish shortened up, but this bull we Brock and Rance named him Bert. And Brock actually hunted him in 2015 with his personal archery tag. And never did get a really good chance at him. And so it passed. He made it through and actually found his set of sheds that winter. He broke up a little, but intact. He was about 418. Wow. Yeah, just a phenomenal bull, just super heavy. I mean, I think my set, his front circumference is, I think one's over 11, and the other one's over 10. Wow. Yeah, so just, so he is one we'd hope for. He come around, um, he shortened up a little bit on some points, but he, the year before, he dropped, he dropped 20 inches, 20, 25 inches for no reason. Why? We don't, we're not sure, you know, he never got hit. He was in the same place some other bulls were and they grew, you know, so we can't say that he had bad this or that, you know, just, just one of them things. So he ended up dropping 25 inches. So this year we were kind of unsure what he was going to do, you know, but he come back, he shortened up a bunch on one fifth, but he ended up putting on a split brow so that gave him you know some more inches anyway we we got him there my dad's back spotting and nick and brock are up with me we're up on the hill and brock and nick were going to take off walking anyway we heard heard a bull bugle and looked up and anyway it was him and this is the first really good look we've had at him he's only about 400 yards across there and we could see that fit had shortened up to only about five inches, but he put on that split brow, and then we know he's super heavy. So we're like, yeah, that thing's still a shooter. You know, we got to shoot him. He's got to be, you know, right there, still at 400. So Brock and Nick took off over there, and he got up on him and got one shot at him and missed. And he just wasn't sure. He just said it all kind of happened so fast. I stayed across the hill spotting, and I could see them, and I could see them standing there, but I'm thinking, why aren't you doing anything? But they said they were just waiting for the cows to, you know, finally take their eyes off them. So he shot, and he took off running, and I'm trying to look at the body to see if he's hit. And then Brock Cow calls, and he stops, and he shoots again and misses again. And we're thinking, oh, shoot, it's done now. You know, they all take off, and... The cows keep going, and anyway, Brock Cow called one more time, and that bull stopped. And now that bull turned and started coming back to him again. No way. Yeah, so he gets a couple shots at him. He takes off, and now he's coming back to him. And anyway, he starts coming back to him, and it just worked out perfect. There was a big draw there. They dropped down, and that bull come right up to about, I think, he said around 70 yards, and Nick pounded him, heart shot him, and went. 50 yards and tipped over wow that's incredible so, yeah yeah talk about luck in the archery hunt you know dallas to get that many shots and then nick's turn so anyway that we get it incredible. down yeah we get it down and go check him out and yeah he's everything what we thought you know still just a super old bull he's probably i bet you a 14 year old bull and he ended up officially i think 403 gross and about 380 Eight net somewhere right in there, three eighty six. 
So now we got them four hundreds done, and we still got my dad and Jake with the archery tags. So we're out looking for them, and I'm looking at a spot, and anyway, I find this bull, and I'm looking at him, and I'm probably two and a half miles away, and I'm seeing something looks funny about him. Well, it looked funny because his fronts are 22 and a half inches. (laughs) (laughs) All three of them. And then he's got an extra bez, too, that is 23 and a half inches. So I talked to my dad, and I'm like, hey, we got to come hunt this one. So we hunt him, and, I mean, we get a really good chance, and my dad just, I don't know what got to him. He had been hitting a little high when they were practicing, so... But he adjusted and got it all ready. When we get up there that day, and that bull comes out below us with some cows at 73 yards, but it's like a 32-degree angle downhill. So my rangefinder was giving me the angle calculated distance for about 65. So I tell my dad, and anyway, he ranges and shoots and just clipped his brisket. Oh. And then, yeah, so, you know, the bull took off and unhurt, you know, just a little bit of a flesh wound. And anyway, I asked my dad, you know, like, did you feel good? You know, everything. And he's like, yeah, I did. He's like, but in my head, I was thinking hold a little bit low because I'd been hitting high. So he's like, I don't know if it was me that held that much low or if the angle wasn't as much as it said. But unfortunately, that bull got away and. My dad never did kill one. That was about the only other really good one, you know, that we hunted with him. And then Jake, Hopefully that he shows back up, huh? Well, he got killed in the rifle hunt. Oh, he did? Yeah, so that's how we know the fronts were 22 and a half. And anyway, he was, I think, around 395, 397, what they said. Goodness. Yeah, so in that archery hunt, it was just, I mean, we got spoiled. Yeah, I mean... Man, sounds like 2017 was a banner year for you guys, but it, you guys shoot big bulls every single year, so it's like, it's almost, I'm looking at your Instagram page, it's almost like Groundhog Day, because here's just another big one, another big one, and it's crazy the amount of um, big bulls that you guys get to see, put your hands on, that's so awesome. Um, I, I want to I ask you a couple questions about um, Nevada elk units, and if you could maybe... Um, Go through the units as far as, you know, maybe your top archery picks, your top, you know, top muzzleloader, top rifle, um, whatever they may be, and talk a little bit about them. Just maybe compare and contrast them a little bit. Okay, yeah, probably our top unit that we like to hunt the most is this unit 111 through 115. And it's a little higher, rockier type of country. Versus our second unit we hunt a lot is at 221 through 223. And that's a lot of pinion juniper down there. And they're, to us, we see a bigger horn growth in the 111 than we do in 221, 223. And what we think with that is in the unit 111 to 115, that's a lot rockier. So we're thinking the minerals that they're getting off of them rocks are helping them put on a few more inches. And like So in general, in general, the 111 to 115 just overall has better, bigger bulls, better bulls. 
Um, and you're thinking it's from the minerals from the soil? Yeah, you know, because we, you know, they're pretty much the same because we'll have bulls that'll cross and go back and forth, but we definitely usually see a bigger jump. We can see bulls in that side jump anywhere from 15 to 40 inches. You know, at the extreme, we've had a few that put on 40 inches in one year. And usually in the 221, 223 units down there, they seem to be more around, if we got about a 20-inch growth year, that's really good. And that's just our, our thinking, you know, is that they've got a lot more minerals with the rocks up there than they do down south. That's just kind of my personal opinion on it, you know. Okay, so those are your two top picks. Um, how, how do you stagger your picks as far as what do you recommend to people when they apply? How many choices do you get and how many actually count? And, I mean, do you apply every hunt, you know, every choice do you put it or do you just do your top two and call it? Um, we recommend they do all five because Nevada does look at all five of your choices. Um, as to where I, I believe Arizona, you've got a few more, but they take your top two as priority, and then if anything's left, then they'll look at your last ones. But Nevada goes all the way down your list. Okay. So we tell our tell our hunters, you know, to apply for the harder units first. So say we'll apply for the archery, because there's only four tags for non-resident in the archery as to where they got nine in the rifle early and eight in the late. So we'll usually go 111 to 115 archery and tell them the 111 to 115 early, the 111 to 115 late, then 221, 223 early, then 221, 223 late. Okay. And just put our harder harder units up first because, like I said, they're just going to look down your list. If your first one's all full, they'll look at your second. If that's full, they'll look at your third until you have an opening. And then if not, you just, you know, obviously don't draw. Right, and you get a bonus point and you move on to the next year. It, talk about, um, do you know people that literally had zero, one, two, you know, very, very few points that have drawn? Um, have you guided or do you know people that every year, you know, get a tag and you're just like unbelievable yeah you know they do it does happen with guys with low numbers drawn it's like say for instance last year um that unit 111 through 115 the early hunt there was 3,616 total applicants for that with nine tags available the max bonus point guy had 24 points and he didn't draw the person that drew the first tag had 14 points, and the rest of them were drawn between 14 and 5 points. So there was a person that actually had only 5 points, and he drew with people with 15-plus points that didn't draw. And the best tag in the state, or yep, what you so think like, is the best tag in the state. That's pretty unreal. Yeah, yeah for a rifle, so... You know, and then say, for instance, last year in the 22 early hunt, there was 2,931 total applicants for eight tags. And one person with 20 points drew, and then the rest were drawn between 15 and 6 points. 
Wow. So, like we we're talking, with it being such a random draw, you know, it it can happen to anyone. You know, these the bonus points obviously help logistically, but just with being random, it could be anybody. Yeah. Well, I, I want to transition. Um, we've talked about elk, and we could talk for hours about elk, but I want to talk a little bit about mule deer and sheep as well. Um, before I do that, I want to take a second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for their title sponsorship. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're not already a GoHunt Insider member, you can do so by going to GoHunt.com forward slash Insider. Click on the blue Join Now button. Use the J. Scott promo code. If you use the promo code, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card. You're going to be able to use that immediately to buy something in the, in the gear shop. Uh, that is, in my mind, the best resource out there for the Western hunters when studying draw odds and statistics and what units to put in for. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting which, uh, Trevor, I noticed that uh, you wear uh, almost exclusively Kuyu, and um, uh, I want to thank Kuyu uh, Ultralight Hunting for their sponsorship of this podcast and have you guys, if you're not familiar with Kuyu, go to KUIU.com and check out all their great gear uh, on the website. Uh, Also, Phonescope.com, use the JScott16 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount there at Phonescope and the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, uh, Cody Nelson and his crew there at the shop at the Outdoorsman's uh, in Arizona. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount, uh, and Cody and his crew do a great job selling optics and, and other hunting gear. Um, Trevor, let's go into mule deer, which, it, you know, as fanatical as you guys are about elk, you also you're also when it comes to deer season you guys also you know stack up some big bucks um first question i would ask you is if you were forced to choose one elk or mule deer and you were forced to pick one which one would you pick as far as if you only had one to hunt okay elk Elk but with that being said you're also a mule deer nut um talk a little bit about uh the units that you guys like for mule deer as well um, we like these units here around Ely, um, a little bit further south, Callahan, and that's really good too. But we spend the majority of our time in these units, 131 through 134, 221 through 223, 111 through 113, um, 114, 115. And like I said, we touch on a little bit of that 231, 241 through 245. Talk about the timing of your season as far as um, is there any changes to any hunt dates on any specific hunts this year that, you know, make you go, ooh, that's going to be good or, ooh, that's going to be tougher? Oh, for the deer, last year they opened up a new hunt in that 115 exclusively. It was a December hunt with a rifle. Um, and they mainly did that because that top part of that is actually a national park. And they wanted to get a little bit more deer in the hunting grounds I guess you know that late trying to get some weather to come in and it was really sought after with a lot of the locals I thought it was going to be really great just the times and we had a few really good bucks in mind but 
we just never really got any weather and really didn't see nothing great. So that one kind of let us down a little bit. Yeah, but other than that, you know, the dates, they did add a few more dates on the 221-223 late. It used to end the 6th, it ended the 8th, and that actually helped out. We, um, Brock and his dad Richard, a couple of our guides, he had a PIW deer tag, and they actually had a really good buck, 200-inch buck they found right there towards the end, and just when they went up, it was moving and just never, never got it. So them two extra days, you know, I think helped that unit a little bit. Okay. Um, I noticed on your Instagram page, you know, you're in pictures with, you know, big velvet bucks and you're in pictures with hardhorn bucks. Um, you know, archery hunting obviously is tough, but, I mean, would you, you know, the, the hardhorn um, seasons, are, are those, you know, the ones that you focus on the most because you're pretty busy with elk or? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for us guiding deer hunters, we focus a lot of, on the rifle hunts. Um, the archery hunt, you know, I mean, we're hunters ourselves first, and that's about the time we take for for us personally. You know, I've been pretty fortunate and killed two 200-inch bucks the last two years in the archery hunt, and we feel like the archery hunt's probably your best chance to see a, a really big deer you know but you know hunting with a bow that's going to make it that much harder though so with a rifle yeah. you find one you're probably going to kill it you know more often than not you know with a bow you're probably going to find one but probably going to chase them around a few times before you actually get it done if you get it done yeah i'm looking here at this picture of your says um 2016 archery buck that thing's a wild looking buck it's got looks like a crown point off his g3 on the left side and then it's hard to tell with this picture he's got all kinds of stuff going on, on his right side yeah, um couple so that was on the, the yeah he split up there um so that was your 2016 buck and then you also shot a 200 uh in 17 with your bow yep yeah and actually the 16 buck um, I knew he was there. We seen him the year before in the velvet, and then my mom's brother actually missed him in the rifle hunt. Um, we were up there looking for elk muzzleloader, and he had a late tag, and I had spotted him with some does, so I told him about it, and he went up there and actually got a shot, but he missed, so it worked out for me to be able to go back the next year and get it done. You can't tell me the second that you got that buck on the ground, you didn't send him a picture and go, here's your buck. <laughs> yeah, tell him thanks for missing. <laughs> uh, that, that's pretty cool. Um, you're also a sheep nut uh, as well. Um, how much time do you get to focus on sheep, or is it just when guys draw tags, or are you specifically always you know, up for guiding uh, desert and rocky, rocky sheep hunts? Um, this year we're actually excited that they extended the sheep hunts till January 1st. They used to end December 20th. So it's given us, you know, roughly 11, 10, 11 days extra now. Um, there, our problem with not hunting the sheep as much as we'd like is our elk hunts run right through them. 
the sheep hunts usually start November 20th till they used to be December 20th, and the elk hunts are November 6th till the 20th, and then November 21st till November 4th or December 4th was the late hunts. So we had a big portion of that taken out where we were here hunting elk when we would like to be hunting sheep. So, in other words, by extending those dates back, you feel like you can um, still do all your elk and deer hunts, but then have a bunch of time in the latter part of December to really focus in on your sheep, and it gives you a, a, a bigger window to hunt them? Yeah, for sure, you know, and, and and it's hard, and we understand most hunters, you know, you feel like you want to be there the first day of the hunt, you know, of course, but, like, even with the elk, we... Try not to have guys discouraged if you're coming in the second week or even the late hunt because we kill solid bulls throughout. You know, the biggest bull we killed in 2016, that guy was actually booked for just the last six days of that hunt. And we ended up killing a 390 gross bull out of that with just them last six days. You know, and it's the same areas we're hunting earlier, just, Kind of when it's your time, it's your time. Well, and so don't you we think, get, too, I mean, you know, you got guys in the field and out and people out looking, and sometimes, you, you know, there's times when you're like, dang it, I wish we had hunters for the last part of the season because stuff's starting to show up. And, and you know, it's, I've been in that situation where, you, you know, you're wishing, man, I wish I had a hunter for this later part because now I'm you know, basically twiddling my thumbs watching this big animal, and I wish I had a hunter. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely like you said. It's it's a blessing because even at the end of the hunt, most of the other hunters are done. So that one guy might have four guides looking for him. As if you went in the early hunt, you're only going to have one guy. Or you know, at the start of the hunt, you're probably only going to have one guide per one hunter. Right. And then yeah, you get down sure. towards the end, and you have a lot. You know, guys are filling out, and now you've got you know, like I said, four or five guys looking for you. That's kind of with the sheep, too, is at the end, you know, the guys want to go at the start, and we're kind of stuck here elk hunting. But when they do wait till till we're done, you know, we're done with all the elk, so now we got all these guys free to go look for sheep. And, you know, the one hunter we had a couple of years ago, same thing, you know, we had four guys down there looking for him. You know, yeah. and we killed what? a really good ram for the unit. I think it was like the fourth biggest one killed out of that unit. What um, sheep units do you like for desert, and what sheep units do you like for Rockies? Um, well, Rockies now, we only have two units available. Mainly, I mean, the California is what we hunt a lot, which is basically classified as a Rocky. Um, my dad actually had one of them tags last year. You know, this 031 unit, we've killed a few rams out of there. And he actually killed a 165-inch California bighorn out of there last year. Wow. Yeah, so he he was pretty lucky to draw that California tag and then the archery elk tag, too. And yeah, he had, that, a, had a good year, didn't he? Yeah, and with that, too, same thing. That hunt starts September 1st, and we were here elk hunting. We didn't get to get up there till two weeks after it opened to hunt and ended up killing that ram so we were pretty fortunate that we you know killed that bigger ram but we 
have the same thing, four or five guys up there looking because we were done elk hunting and we were open. So we got to run up there and spread out and look at quite a few rams. I think we've seen 28, 30 rams. And, you know, that was the biggest one that we could find. So he went ahead and took him. But that right. was the old uh, one unit for California. And for non-resident California, there's just four units available. And they're all pretty even across the board. You know, you possibly get a 160 ram out of any of them units. And then what about desert? What's your favorite for desert? Oh, probably the best unit around for the desert for a non-resident, you know, is anywhere from that 263, the McCullough's, to the 268, the Muddies. But in any one of these units, you can kill, you know, a, a 170 desert, which is a monster. And Nevada is probably one of the best states for giving out non-resident sheep tags. Last year, I think they gave around 33 non-resident sheep tags. Yeah, I mean, as far as numbers and, and quality, uh, Nevada is definitely an awesome unit to put in for. And wouldn't you agree, I mean, if you're applying for elk and deer, um, you might as well apply for sheep as well. I mean, you've already bought the license. Um, so for those guys out there that don't apply, I mean, you just you've got to apply for it, right? I mean, the application yep. fees next to nothing, and, and, you know, the cost of entry is not, not high at all. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to get one of these coveted sheep tags, and like I said, in pretty much any of them units that they're given now, you know, you can kill a, a really good desert for, like you had said, you're in for all these other animals anyway, the elk and the deer. You know, you might as well be in for, like you said, for a minimal price of $15 for the sheep. Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, we could also talk about hounds, but that'd be a whole nother hour-long conversation. I know you like chasing lions, and um, I want to encourage the listeners to check you out on Instagram, Bull Ridge Guide Service, as well as um, your website, uh, bull-ridge.com. Uh, Trevor, I want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing your time with us. Um, do you have any final thoughts or conclusions? No, not too much. Just thank you, too, for the opportunity. You know, I love listening to the podcast. They're very informational. You know, and if the guys have any questions or anything they'd like answered, they could just either email you or me or contact us on our Facebook or Instagram pages. And, you know, I'm more than willing to try to help where I can and give out my info or insight on hunting. It's just, you know, one of them things that people that want to get into it, that aren't into it, is spending time in the field, you know, just learn it. You know, learn yeah. learn what they do, learn the areas they're at, and keep at it, and they'll be successful as well. Well, and we've got a, Nevada has an application deadline of April 16th, and this um, podcast is going to air uh, with, with plenty of time for guys to contact you if they need help applying, and I want to know more about your guide service. Um, I will link up your Instagram page and your website in the show notes of this podcast as well. Um, and you feel free to send uh, Trevor a, a direct message through Instagram. 
uh, or through his website. Uh, Trevor, thanks so much for coming on. Congratulations on all the success that you guys had uh, last season. Can't wait to see all the giants that you guys knocked down this year. And uh, uh, just uh, thanks for sharing with us. And it's been a while since I've had you on, and I'm thankful I had you on again. And I always get lots of good feedback from when you're on, so I appreciate that. All right, thank you, and we appreciate it, and good luck this year to you as well, Jay. All right, buddy, God bless. Take care. All right, take care. Bye. Bye.